My name is Jack. I am Bethany Northeast lead pastor. Welcome again to especially those that are visiting today, family of regular attenders or visitors from within our community that are just checking Bethany out. Um, glad you're here. Happy Easter to you. We've been in a series throughout Easter season or Lent in the Gospel of John where we've been looking at the different I am statements that Jesus makes in this gospel. So there's seven of them. And we're on the seventh and final of those, though not chronologically. We've kind of backtracked to John chapter 11, and there's several that, are, that happen after this statement that Jesus makes. But it's obviously very germane to the conversation we're having today about resurrection. And so we wanted to come to this place. Um, and to sort of set up this teaching this morning, uh, tell you a little personal story so you can get to know me if you don't know me. Earlier this year, my family, so I'm a father of two kids, Marin and Elliot, who are seven years old, 12 years old, and my wife, Elizabeth. We've been married for 15 years. We began a sort of Friday ritual together. Um, it's my day off. Many of you ask, what day do you get off? Friday, so just so you know. And our kids come home from school. Elizabeth and I spend the day together, and then we kind of clean up the house a little bit. And then uh, we, after we've cleaned up the house, we make this big home-cooked meal, and we have dinner. And after dinner, we feverishly clean up the kitchen, and we pop up a big pot of Whirly Pop popcorn on our stovetop. And we rent a movie from iTunes, which is my preferred online movie vendor. I know some of you like Netflix and other things. This is not about that. And we often decide, we often decide what, what movie that's going to be over dinner. We, we talk about, what did we see last week? Uh, what, what just came out this week? What haven't we seen yet? What has the, the freshest rating on Rotten Tomatoes, right? And we'll go through Rotten Tomatoes and we'll look for the freshest rating. And it's been really fun for us to cuddle up on the couch. We, have a, we don't have a TV, so we have a computer. <laughs> and we cuddle up on the couch really tight, and we watch movies. And to laugh together, to sometimes cry together. And like I said, my kids, we've done this over the past year, and my kids are 7 and 12, so a lot of animated movies, a lot of Pixar and Disney. And a few that some of the favorites, I'm sure you'll know these, both The Young in the Room and The Young at the Heart, uh, and keep in mind, again, my kids are young, and so our Friday movies may not represent your choice of movies, but just go with me here. A few notables from this past year. Up, which I'd seen many times, but my kids just watched with me. Uh, Big Hero 6, which I'd avoided for some reason, but I loved. And then finally, just last week, because we're kind of getting to the deep bench on the movies we've seen and haven't seen, The Good Dinosaur, which turned out surprisingly great. I know. You never, you never know. It's a good movie, good date movie. And there's a lot of other great movies out there, but the reason I love these movies is they, have, they all have one thing in common. So I want to ask the kids in the room, because I know there's a lot of young people, what do those three movies, Big Hero 6, Up, and The Good Dinosaur, have in common? What's, what's one thing they have in common? Happy endings. Okay, that's definitely one thing they have in common. There's a kid in all of them. Wow, I didn't think of these. I was hoping you'd say something like, they're all Disney movies, which I was going to say, yeah, they are Disney Pixar, but that's not what I was going for. So they all have something else in common that maybe you haven't thought of, and this is the thing. They all deal very winsomely with the theme of death. Did you guys know that? So Up, unlike most Disney films, begins with a death. You have Carl and Ellie, right? And you see this montage at the beginning of the movie of their lifelong relationship and then Ellie dies, and Carl's left on his own, and he's this grumpy old man, and the film really begins right then. Uh, Big Hero 6, the, the movie's kind of protagonist, Hiro Tadashi, and his brother, uh, his brother, what's his brother's name? Hiro Hamada, and Tadashi's his brother. 
Tadashi and Hiro are, are orphans. And you find this out early in the film. And then, in a sudden twist, uncharacteristic of Disney, Tadashi dies. And Hiro is left to raise himself. And then the good dinosaur, I loved this one. It's set in this fictional earth where dinosaurs never become extinct. So spoiler alert, <laughs> just in case you haven't seen it. And the film follows this young apatosaurus named, named Arlo. An apatosaurus is a type of dinosaur for the non-parents in the room. And, and he befriends this uh, little boy named Spot who becomes kind of like his pet. Okay, kind of a weird twist. And during the movie, as they're cultivating this friendship, they show this very powerful moment where each learns that the other's lost a parent or parents. So, so Spot is an orphan as well, and, and, and Arlo has lost his dad. And when they discover that, if you remember the movie, if you've seen it, there's this profound moment of intimacy that they share as they begin to care for each other and suffer alongside each other. So what I love about these movies, and there's a lot more like this with these themes, it, and, and all, they, they each explore in their own way the transformational gift of grief. The transformational gift of grief. Uh, so let me ask you a question. This is for everybody in the room. Maybe that was for the young people. Have you ever lost someone dear to you? Have you ever lost someone? Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a close friend. Maybe it was somebody that lived a good long life. Maybe it was somebody who just died too young. Um, chances are we've all known someone who's died. You're all connected to, we are all connected to death in some way, aren't we? The youngest and the oldest. And the beauty of the gospel here in John 11 is that Jesus was too. So the, the prophet Isaiah tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And that's not just about his death, though it is. It's the fact that he also was touched by death. He lost a dear friend, Lazarus. Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus's. We learned that in this story. And Lazarus' sisters are, as you expected, filled with this grief, profound sense of grief. And this community surrounding them is also grieving. And there's this heightened expectation as you come to John 11 around Jesus, surrounding him, pressing in on him what, as he approaches this scene. How is he going to respond? It's great that he's a rabbi. It's great that he's healed people. It's great that he's delivered people from demon possession. How will he face death? This enemy of mankind. How will he respond? How will he approach them in their grief? What will he say? Will he have good pastoral presence, good bedside manner? What will he do? And of course, we all know what Jesus ultimately does, right? He, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And that's a great end of the story. But before he does that, before he makes any moves, he makes this important declaration of identity right here in John 11, which not only frames that healing and that, that deliverance from death for Lazarus, but actually undergirds and, and really is the crux of the entire story of God. Jesus declares himself to be the resurrection and the life, sort of the ultimate identity statement, which is say Jesus utterly redefines death with his resurrection, a, a, redef a definition that has sent ripples throughout the course of history. One theologian says that the resurrection is like a nuclear bomb not deadly, but life-giving, emanating throughout the history of humanity, sending ripples to us today, seated on 123rd and, and Sandpoint Way. We're thinking about it. We're talking about it. There's a ripple effect. And so I want to look at that ripple effect with you and, and sort of three implications quickly of the resurrection. And these are the implications, if you're kind of thinking logically, that resurrection begins now. Okay? Resurrection involves you. And resurrection defeats death, okay? That's what we're going to look at this morning quickly. 
It begins now and involves you and it defeats death, okay? So first, it begins now. Martha, notice she's defining, you heard this story I read, she's defining death the way most of us define it. She's just run out to meet Jesus. She's really visibly upset. You can see her uh, in her body. She's mad that Lazarus is dead. But clearly, and more poignantly, she's mad at Jesus. Did you hear that when I read this? If only you had been here sooner, Jesus. Do you hear her indignance at Jesus? If, he, if only you had showed up, maybe Lazarus wouldn't be dead right now, Jesus. She's angry with God. If only God, right? And how many of us have said something like that to God in the face of death? If only God. <laughs> if only I had gotten into that school. If only I had met that person. If only the doctor had been able to see her sooner. If only you had been here, Jesus then this wouldn't have happened. And notice what Jesus says very patiently and compassionately. I am here now. I am resurrection and life. It, in other words, Jesus is, is challenging Martha. He's challenging you here today to reframe your if-onlys with if-Jesus. Uh, if Jesus, in other words, if Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus did what the Gospels say he did, if he will do, what the rest of the story of God says he will do, then there's more to your story than the if-onlys. There's more to my story than death. There, death is never the end of the story with Jesus. Never. So, friends, we are caught up in this divine mystery right now, this resurrection story, where we're being invited to say, Jesus, how might this, whatever this is in my life, be used as a means of conforming me to your image? This diagnosis, this profound loss, this sense of confusion and doubt that is gripping my life, this real brokenness, that I can, this sin that I continue to struggle with, Jesus, how might this be used as a means of conforming me to your image? And how, for, of me learning faith, how might I learn faith that is deep, faith that is, is ultimate reliance on you? Trust, <laughs> that's what faith is. If you don't know much about faith, that's all that faith is learning to rely on God for everything. And that's always what Jesus is doing when he encounters people, is inviting them to rely on him, moving us from if-onlys to if-Jesus. Which is precisely why Jesus says, it doesn't say, I will be resurrected, Martha. <laughs> Someday, and he will be. He doesn't say that, though. He doesn't also say, don't be so sad, Martha. Lazarus isn't in pain anymore. He's off in a better place. And let me show you how you can live now so that you'll be there too someday. He doesn't say that. He says, this isn't about some distant future possible promise for later. That's not helpful for anybody that's encountered death. We know that. Death is, is it stings. Uh, and so Jesus says, even though now Lazarus is very much dead, and, and I will raise him, but the now is with Martha, not later in the story yet. He's not looking at the tomb yet. He says, how will you respond, Martha, to the grief you're experiencing at the loss of your brother? How will you respond to the, to the grief you're facing in your life? That's what Jesus wants to speak to you about today. What's the substance of your faith now in this moment? Not later, but today. Not if only, but if Jesus. Jesus with me, in me, hope visible, okay? So resurrection's now. Here's the second thing I want to talk about. Resurrection involves you. 
So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, uh, just as he does with every one of these seven I am statements he makes in John, he's pointing back to this time earlier in the story of God. In Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, when God meets Moses. Remember this in the burning bush? That Moses is sitting there, he looks at this bush, it's not burning up, he goes over there, and it begins to speak. It's kind of creepy. And if you remember the story, the essence of that story, if I can just put it into kind of a word, is God revealing himself personally. That's really the essence of that story. God reveals to Moses that he's seen the suffering of the people of God. That the violence and the oppression that they've experienced at the hands of the Egyptians, he's seen that God moved with such deep compassion and concern for them that guess what? God decides to enter into their story in a bush and then a pillar of fire and a cloud and then in a person named Jesus. I will be with you from this moment in the story forward. I will not be some abstract, distant presence. I will be with you. I am. That's my name, God says. I'm not, not I was, not I will be. I am. God with you. God for you. God entering into your story. Resurrection involves you. And it's a moment in which Jesus is inviting us back to when he says this statement, I am resurrection and life. I am your resurrection. I am your life. I'm here with you. My resurrection is yours. My life for yours. That's what Jesus is saying today. And let me just put this in terms of something I've tried to say here before, but if you're new today, you haven't heard me say it. The essence of Christianity, if you're inquiring about Christianity today, is personal pronouns. That's the essence of the Christian faith. So if you're here this morning, you're hoping we would say the creed or something. The Son of God was born. He died. He was raised. He ascended. He's coming again, right? That doesn't necessarily make you a Christian, if you can say those things. You can say those things. You might even believe those things are true. And yet to know God is something entirely different. So are you interested in knowing God today? To know God is something totally different than the creed in which we proclaim. Here's what Jesus would have you say. The Son of God was born for me. The Son of God died for me. The Son of God raised from the dead for me. He ascended to the right hand of the Father for me. He is coming again for me. Do you believe that? Uh, that's the essence of Christianity. The Christian story is all about getting in your face personally. I am resurrection means I've been raised for you, which is why Jesus turns to Martha in this story and says, do you believe? He switches pronouns there. I don't know if you noticed that. But his question that, that you is a personal you. He looks, you can just see him looking right in her eyes in the midst of a crowd. He often speaks to crowds. The yous you often see in the Bible are often plural. But Jesus looks right at Martha and says, do you believe? Do you believe this about the resurrection? What about you, friend? Do you believe? Do you believe? That, that's what Jesus would do today if he was here. It's a profoundly personal moment in this story. And, and, because, and it's personal because he's saying that the faith that I'm inviting you into must be relational. You must risk intimacy with Jesus if you want to walk with Jesus. To know God is to experience that, and to experience that resurrection, you must risk the deepest knowing you can imagine. And so you're not a Christian if you think you're a Christian, if you, and you're not understanding Christianity if you're not experiencing Jesus inside of a relationship. If you're not coming to Jesus in some way saying, with personal pronouns, God, what do you have for me today? God, what do you want to do in me today? God, what are you inviting me toward today? What kind of courage? What next steps?
That's the essence of Christianity. And you have to understand that. You have to understand he's raised for you. But here's the key, not just for you. And not just for me. (laughs) In a sort of exclusive, private sense of the word. Uh, This is one of the tragic mistakes of evangelical Christianity. Me and Jesus. Jesus is my buddy. Uh, The resurrection and life for me. We sing about it a lot. We talk about it a lot. I preach about it a lot. The resurrection and the life were, were never just for individuals, though individuals are significant. They're for the world. His resurrection's for the world. Remember John 3.16. What does Jesus say? Or what does John say? God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son so whoever believes in him might inherit eternal life, might rise. God so loved the world. And so that means that though we are each individually significant, resurrection is, is both global as well as personal. So it's resurrection life for those experiencing profound death in the intimacy of your marriage, as well as those that are caught up in human trafficking and, and fleeing terror and war and seeking asylum and refuge. It's resurrection for those who fear for the future of our world when you stay up late at night watching the news, but also those of us that fear for our children when we stay up late at night when they're out on their first date. It's resurrection that brings racial reconciliation. It's also resurrection that brings reconciliation in side of a broken friendship or family relationship. You see that personal as well as global. Jesus declares himself as resurrection and life. He declares what I've done for you and what I can do for you, I've done for the world. And I want both to experience all of me. And here's what I've done for the world. Here's the last thing I want to talk about. So the first thing is that resurrection is now. Second thing, resurrection involves you. Last thing, resurrection defeats death. What I've done for you I've done for the world, I've conquered death. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. The one who believes in me will live, even though, listen to this paradox, they die. Whoever lives believing in me will never, (laughs) be careful whenever you say never, will never die. Jesus stuck a stake in the ground that's running deep into history. Jesus is God's final victory over death. You will never have to face death Again, death is the great enemy of God. It's death. We're not built for death. God didn't bring death into the world. Uh, Listen, death looms and casts a huge shadow over our world, doesn't it? Christians, non-Christians, we are all going to die. Lazarus dies twice. It's kind of a bummer for him. None of us is immune to death. All of us are going to die. All of us are decaying. All of us are passing away. Young people in the room, you are dying right now. I'm sorry bad news. It's not Halloween. Uh, But it's true. Whether it's the death as a consequence of a war, or death in the intimacy of a relationship, or death because you've been shamed, you've been told you can't do something, or death because you carry around something you think you've done that's just, oh, you're unforgivable. Uh, Whether it's death of a childlike faith, you grew up in the church and now you're full of doubt, or death to your creativity and your courage because of indifference and apathy. There's all kinds of death. Whatever death you're facing today, because we're all facing some sort of death, Jesus gets in the presence of that death, and he declares, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Death is defeated. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians 15. He testifies to this. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? You are defeated. And Paul taunts death. How, I mean, he, how can he do that? Because he understands that Jesus' final and total victory over death happened on the cross. 
he gets that. As Peter once said in, in Acts 2, that the bands of death were broken on the cross. That the cross of Christ, rather than being this payment for a penalty to a wrathful God, as some believe it is, is really this. That the cross of Christ is a pinnacle of a battle between an infinitely loving, eternally living God and, and a, a, an enemy called death, Satan. A taunter, a destroyer, a defeater. The cross of Christ was not just about Jesus dying, but about our formal sin, former sinful deathbound existence dying. That's what the cross is all about, and that's why we're gathered here today. To remember that, to celebrate God's victory over our own death, which is the central paradox of Christianity, that in dying for our sins, Jesus put death to death, and yet we're all dying. He opened the way to life. How did that happen? And that's why he turns to Martha and says, do you believe this? Because he's not asking her, do you believe in the resurrection as an abstract doctrine or principle, not the idea of life. That's a tough one. I'm not inviting any of you today to comprehend that reality. That might be a different sermon. Eternity is a huge idea. Jesus is inviting you to believe in him, the presence of life in your suffering and the suffering of our world, the one whose life present here today, the victor over death. So he looks to you and he says, do you believe? Do you believe, friends? Uh, do you want to believe? Jesus says, believe into me then. That's what Easter morning is all about. Move from unbelief to belief. Receive more fully into your life God, <laughs> the victory that God accomplished on the cross his life in you. So if you want to believe in that, or you believe in that, but that belief has just grown cold, let me pray for you. So I just want to invite you all to pray with me, if you'll just close your eyes. And don't worry, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hands or anything. I'm just going to pray over us. Let's pray. And I'll invite our worship team forward. <clears throat> Jesus, you said that you declared yourself to be resurrection and life, and you promised that that all of us that believe in you, though we die, will live, and that all of us that live in you, though, and we believe, <laughs> will never die. And that's great news, God. And it's hard, but it's hard to believe. And so, God, I'm, my, I just confess to you, I confess on behalf of my friends, we long to believe, we believe, and yet we confess that there are hairline cracks in our belief, even in the most sophisticated faith here today, God. Uh, we are afraid. We live in unbelief. It, uh, we slip through those cracks, and we are shaken to the core. And so, God, at such moments, no amount of theology or preaching or singing or Bible knowledge is going to help us. We just come to you, Lord. We ask you to overcome our unbelief. We, we believe, Jesus. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to know what it means to believe in you. Help us to know what it means to rise into the newness of life. And God, I take a moment just to pray for those that are just realizing this today, for the very first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, the, the death-breaking power that is already at work in our lives, who are realizing the freedom that we have in you, the power that we have to live, the victory that you, you accomplished over death. God, thank you that you're moving our hearts you're speaking to us, breaking through. 
So I pray you bring continued clarity in these next moments and comfort through your Spirit's presence. I, I pray you bring friends into our lives that would remind us of these truths so that all of us together could continue to rejoice in you, in your beauty, in our belovedness, in the truth of life. So God, I pray these things in Jesus' names, uh, name as we wait on him now to minister to us and to our hearts. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If there's anything that God's been speaking to you, uh, I'm going to be up front here until just before the end of the service, and I'm going to kind of boogie out because we're having our baptisms. I'd love to. I mean, if there's anybody this morning that came didn't realize we were doing that, I'd love to enter into that moment with you. We will gladly baptize you. The water's a little cold. And also, uh, Sean and Libby are here, and they're two of our prayer ministers, and they'd love to pray with you. So as God's moved in your heart, this is an opportunity for you just to tell somebody, hey, I want to share this. It doesn't have to be a hard thing. It can be a good thing. And they're there for that. So just be invited to go over there and, and take that courageous step this morning. Let's worship God.